And so as we've been looking through the book of Acts, we've been looking at what Paul has been going through and working through with the newborn church. Understand this is the church in its infancy. And as the church in its infancy, God is using Paul in a great and mighty way to help shape the church. So go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 16 and we'll continue on with where we left off and where we left off was the Jerusalem council took place the issue over law versus grace over the law being fulfilled by the grace and mercy of God is at stake and that was dealt with through the Jerusalem council where they said no circumcision must be required to be saved and then Paul goes back to Antioch and while they're in Antioch, he stays a while and he's ministering to the church at Antioch. And as he gets ready to, to go to the next phase of ministry, there's a divide uh, that takes place in Acts chapter 15 over John Mark. But that doesn't stop the gospel. That actually perpetuates the gospel even more as now two ministry teams goes out into the field with Paul leading one and Barnabas leading the other one and we looked at that last week but look at what their heart intent is on fulfilling the ministry and mission that God has called them to fulfill look at Acts chapter 15 and verse 40 and 41 but Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God and he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening strengthening the churches his heart's desire was to bring strength and vitality to the churches that he encountered along the way and that brings us to chapter 16 to show some of the outworking of his heart's desire to bring strengthening and vitality to the churches it says then he came to Derby and Lystra and behold a certain disciple was there named Timothy the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. They were strengthened in faith and increased in numbered number daily. Uh, and so as that happened, what took place? There was a vitality that came in because of what Paul told them. What did Paul tell them? He told them of the things that the Jerusalem council had come to, which highlighted grace, which highlighted that the law had been fulfilled, which highlighted that there was no more uh, service to be rendered in order to get the acceptance of God, but that the acceptance of God was fully given to him. It was his job to go out and strengthen the churches. And when a church becomes strong, growth is a natural outcropping of the strengthening of the church. And that's what you see in the book of Acts is the churches are strengthened. Growth becomes part of what takes place. Now, I know that we can look at growth and we can say where well, there's qualitative growth and there's quantitative growth. And I would suggest that when a church grows in quality, it'll also grow in quantity. 
that the two go hand in hand, one with uh, the other. Well, what were the works that strengthened the church for it to grow in faith? What happened that caused verse 5 to become a reality? Well, in verse 5, because of the work that God had previously led Paul to, the work of raising up and training servant leaders, he comes into this area of Lystra and Derby, and he finds this young man named Timothy. And Timothy was the work of godly parents, raising him up of his mother and his grandmother as Paul talks about in the letters to Timothy. And in that, they were raised, mentored, and discipled by the parents that God had given them. Listen, church, we can have the best discipleship program in the whole world. You can put all the markers down that you want for a godly and good discipleship program, and it will produce fruit. But if mom and dad aren't doing the discipling that they're called to do, if mom and grandma aren't doing discipling they're supposed to do, if dad and grandpa aren't doing the discipling they're supposed to do, then it's only by the grace of God that God intervenes with the church to bring up a godly young man because that's supposed to take place at home. That's supposed to take place with those primary disciples that God has put in the life of the person. And for Timothy, it was his mother and his grandmother. And in verse 5, Paul sees the work of God in the life of Timothy, that, that Timothy has been raised up as a servant leader by godly parents. But oh, he's also been raised up as a godly lead leader by the body. In verse 2, he says, He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra, in Iconium, he was involved, he was engaged, he was a part of the fellowship of the body of Christ. He was well spoken of, meant that they knew who he was. That means he didn't sit on the back row and do nothing, but he let God use his gifts and talents, whatever they might be, for the furtherance of the kingdom. And so therefore he was plugged in to the local body of Christ. We think that our young people don't have much to contribute at times, and we do that by relegating them to just being a part of this ministry or that ministry. My friends, young people have a lot to give, and God can use them in a mighty way. Matter of fact, when you do a survey of Scripture, it was the young people who were ready for faith and action that God called out to be servant leaders of his works. And so that's something that we need to pay attention to. So the works of raising up a servant leader were highlighted in the ministry and work of Paul to strengthen and grow the church that the parents poured into, that the body poured into, and that his service gave to. In verse 3, Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Paul said, I've got this servant that God has raised up. I'm going to call him to extend his ministry. I'm going to call him to increase his ministry. Sometimes we get comfortable in whatever ministry setting we're in. Sometimes we get comfortable in whatever role we're fulfilling when God has called to stretch us and make us something other than what we were. That's what Paul was uh, doing in the life of Timothy to equip him to a greater call. And this wasn't just going to a camp. This wasn't just going to a youth getaway this was going away from his home this was putting his life on the line for the ministry of the kingdom of god this answer to the call that paul put in front of timothy was a high requirement on him now there's an issue 
that I don't quite know exactly how to deal with. And that issue was Paul has just come from the Jerusalem Council. He is actually going to teach the churches about the decision that was brought from the Jerusalem Council, and that is that circumcision is not required for salvation, but the grace and mercy of the Lord has already been distributed on everybody, and he's already met the law completely fulfilling it. And so therefore, there's nothing else required for salvation. He's going to deliver that message to the churches. But yet, because Timothy's dad is Greek, He has him circumcised. How do you resolve that? Sometimes the work of the ministry requires wisdom to be governed in our life as we serve for the sake of others. What a painful situation Timothy had to relinquish himself to, to yield himself to go through that. But yet at the same time, it was so that his standing in front of others would be esteemed so that his words would actually carry weight when he was spoken of and when he spoke. Sometimes we're too prideful to relinquish ourselves in wisdom and humility for the sake of others. Timothy showed his pride wasn't going to get in the way. And he did what he was necessary to do because there was going to be a whole lot more called of him in the future. There was going to be a whole lot more that he had to go through. And so Paul is carrying out the work of the ministry by equipping and raising up the servant leader and setting the servant leader in front of others so that they'll know his heart is tremendously yielded to being that servant leader. That that Timothy has shown his willingness to do whatever it takes, at whatever cost, to be that servant leader. And and that they would continue on in verse 4, going through the cities and delivering to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. Yes, they were going to be teaching uh, about the circumcision decree, but they were going to be teaching more over grace and mercy payment and satisfaction the fact that God requires nothing more of us than to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that was going to be the essence of their teaching and they were willing and faithful to bring that about and they were willing to do it from the elders that were in Jerusalem and Paul and Timothy surrendering to no other agenda than that And so those works of the ministry is what God used to strengthen the church. What works of the ministry do we need to strengthen the church? If Jesus isn't enough, I don't know what else we need. If faith in a risen Savior is not enough to accomplish in us a desire and a drive to walk in wisdom, a desire and a drive to be the servants of others as Timothy demonstrated in the eyes of those that were around him, if the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, one who beat death and one who beat hell isn't enough to make us say, you know what, God, I will do whatever you call me to do, then I don't know what else we need. Because if one comes back from the dead and then ascends victoriously, what more do we need to lay our lives on the line? 
Do you need a Damascus Road experience? You have to understand the book of Acts is supernatural. It is not normative. Normative means those things that we would encounter in a normal life cycle. And in the book of Acts, God, with the church in its infancy, was making sure that he stood it up to life. And he was making sure that he guarded it unto its adulthood. He was making sure that the church impact was seen all around the land. But let me tell you something. Even though the book of Acts is not a normative expression of an everyday church, cycle and everyday Christian life cycle it is still empowered by the same Holy Spirit that empowers you and me today and so therefore even though we may not have that Damascus Road experience that Paul had that called him to service even though we may not see the miracles that took place in the book of Acts take place in our life and somebody falls out of a window and they get raised back to life even though we may not encounter those amazing miracles that are presented in the book of Acts. Let me remind you that the miracle of your salvation is the greatest miracle this universe has ever seen. For it is a God of creation, a God of glory, a God of splendor that spoke everything into existence, that said to the wind, you'll blow here, and to the waves, you'll roll there, and to the mountains, you'll rise here, that said to all of his creation, this is where the stars will set, and this is where the sun will go when it sets. He said to all of his creation exactly what he wanted it to be. Then he says to you and me, a willful, rebellious person, Change your mind and be saved. And somehow, by the work of God and the drawing of the Holy Spirit, many of us became saved. In spite of our willfulness and in spite of our rebelliousness. That's a greater miracle than any other part of creation, my friend. If you're waiting for a Damascus Road experience, if you're waiting for some supernatural work of God in your life to move you to a point of obedience, then my friends, His preserved Word, is that not enough? His Son dying on a cross, is that not enough? His Son resurrecting from the dead, is that not enough? His Son ascending to heaven, is that not enough? He's sent you every equipping you need to say, I'm yours, God, use me however you want, and wherever you will. It's there. That's what Paul was sold out to. Timothy didn't see the Damascus Road experience, but yet he said, sure, I'll yield myself. I'll do what you've called me to do. I will follow and go. Why? Because they wanted to find God's vision for their lives. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake for you. That's what's at stake for me is are we walking in God's vision for our life or are we still holding on to that rebellious spirit that is self-preserving and self-glorifying or are we willing to be yielded to God and say those words that whatever you want and wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And you're not always going to get it right. But it's the fact that you're seeking and following. And Jesus said, if you do those two things, you'll find. It's not my promise to you. 
is his. And that's exactly what we see spelled out in the life of Paul. Because when you get to verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia, they came to the region of Galatia, and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Wait a minute here, God. I'm going, I'm doing, I'm wanting to discover what you have in front of me. I want to find the vision that you have for me. And Paul is going and doing exactly that, bringing Timothy along with him to equip and build the churches up to strengthen them for the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet they get to the place where he wants to preach, or at least in the direction of that, and the Holy Spirit says no. You can't go there. That's it, I tried. I'm afraid that's the attitude of too many of us. We run into difficulties when we are surrendering ourselves to God. We have problems come our way. Opposition forms. We don't understand why. And we say, that's it, I tried. And then when the nominating committee comes around trying to enlist people into the ministry of the local church the expression quite often said is I serve my time in other words I've got the battle scars and the wounds and I just can't do it anymore oh how we limit God and diminish the glory he wants to exhibit through us you you see Paul hits that roadblock and he's forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia And then you get to verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Strike one, strike two. I wonder if Paul would drop out after one more strike. You know, the answer to that is no. Because he's going to keep swinging at what God puts in front of him. Why is he going to keep swinging at what God puts in front of him? Because he remembers how God delivered him. He remembers the, 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 the job description that God had placed upon him as the Lord spoke in verse 15 of chapter 9 and spoke of Paul. He said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He understood suffering was a part of the journey. But he also understood the glory of God was a reward of the journey. And he would exchange suffering any day for the glory of God. He would count the cost and count it all worthy for the glory of God. When we count the cost, what worth do we ascribe to it? When we count the cost, do we ascribe the worth of our safety and security to it? You say, you know, the cost is high as long as I keep my safety, as long as I keep my security, I'm willing to pay those costs. And we start diminishing the value of the cost that God would call us to. Listen, the bank account of God is not wanting or empty. And whatever it costs you, the bank account of God is going to do more than make it good. He's going to express his glory to you for all eternity and the riches that he gives you in in heaven forever. 
will make whatever gain you thought you had look like dirt. And so Paul understood that he was willing to part with the, the problems and to go through the problems, if need be, in order for the glory of God to be lifted up. He was willing to part with the distractions that he thought might take away from the mission of God. And that's the whole Barnabas and John Mark episode that we saw in chapter 15. He was willing to suffer. He proved that in Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He proved that in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9. He proved that getting kicked out of Antioch of Pisadia is not going to be enough to keep him from pursuing the vision that God has for him. He proved that even if they try to stone him at Iconium like they did in Acts chapter 14, that he wasn't going to be dissuaded from pursuing the vision that God has for him. He proved that to the Jews of Antioch and Pisidia and Iconium after they stone him, he goes completely into the work of God in, in Derby. Paul goes for God's vision at all costs, and it doesn't matter to him. What about us? If we said, you know, Lord, I'll go for your vision as long as it doesn't cost me, and we start putting faces and names and values and comforts to the cost that we're not willing to pay for God, then, my friends, we've got a different God than the God of glory. Because the God of glory keeps count. And he understands exactly what he's asked us to do. And he knows how to equip us to do what he's called us to do. But, Pastor, why does it have to be so difficult? Why does the road of vision, the road of ministry, the road of, uh, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ have to be so difficult? In Proverbs, the Lord tells us through the works of Proverbs that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. If living a devoted, set-aside Christian life was simple, what kind of glory would we rob God of by not having to walk it in faith? You see, if it was simple, if it was easy, then we could take one step after another and never, never have to bend our knee before God. Never have to yield up ourselves. Never have to say, God, I, I can't do this without you. If it was simple, if it was easy, where would be the need for God to be a part of the process? Because we would find a way to do it ourselves. And God has never called his people to do it themselves. He's always called us to be dependent and fully reliant upon him. And that's what faith is. Again, faith is not willful ignorance. Faith is substantiated on the knowledge that God has already given through his very creation and through his divine word and, and through the works that he has already performed in this world. And when we see the glory of God that can beat death and hell, what is there that's bigger than that that God can't get us through? We're counting on it, aren't we? 
We're counting on the fact that if my last breath comes today, there's an eternity because he has said so. Faith requires difficulty. And we can only follow in faith what God has already spoken through the difficulties that are ahead of us or else we would lose our mind. We would lose our, 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 our understanding of what God has for us. And when you get to verses 8 through 10, you find this. So, by, so passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You, you see, faith it can only be developed when things are uncertain and when things are difficult. And in the midst of that, as I'm sure Paul is crying out, God, we're trying. God, we're walking. God, we're working. God, we're leading. God, we're doing what we think we need to do. In the midst of Paul seeking God, God says, yeah. That's what I was waiting to hear. Let me show you where you're going to be going. And in a vision, he brings that to Paul's understanding. And I don't think Paul was fully persuaded, concluding that's where we need to go. But yet when he gets there, what happens? As they're following God's vision and seeking God's way, they discover God's perfect plan. You get to verse 11 and you find this, Therefore, selling from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day we came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, she wasn't even the one they were speaking to. Don't keep quiet about what God is doing in your life. You never know who's eavesdropping. You never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. This woman, Lydia, is there, and she hears with a conversation that's going on, and, and she pipes up to some degree. It says, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And what did they do at her house? Paul sat and he talked and he talked and he talked. You say, what's, why is that so amazing? Lydia was from Asia. Paul says, we tried to go into Asia. God stopped us. Problem, difficulty, travail. We, we tried to go to Bithynia. God stopped us. Problem, difficulty, travail. We tried to go where we thought we should go to take the gospel to people who had not heard us, and God stopped us. And, and many of us at the stop sign of God's direction goes, that's it, I tried. And Paul just kept seeking the Lord, kept trying to understand the heart of God. God gives him a vision for the Macedonian call. He goes there, but it's not in the streets. It's not in the synagogues. It's not at the church meeting places where he encounters God's work for his life. No, it's down by a river 
where the women went to have some prayer time. And as he starts talking, it's not even to the person he's talking to that the vision of God gets fulfilled. It's to somebody that overhears it, a lady named Lydia, that says, what you're talking about, I'm a worshiper of God, and I need this Jesus. And he goes and he baptizes her, and she has saved her and her household. And guess what happens when she goes back home? As the disciple that she is, Asia hears the gospel. If you try to figure God out, it'll drive you crazy. But if you just walk with Him, you'll know peace in the midst of the storm. Because you'll be fully persuaded that he is able to do what he is determined to do. And oh, we get to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, your work may take time. It may take us out of our comfort zone. It may remove us from the center of our own lives. Your work may take time to develop the character and nature that each one of us needs to fulfill a vision that you have for us. But at the same time, I'm fully convinced that God, whatever your work takes, your glory is worthy of it all. And that, Father, if we would be yielded to simply follow and walk with you, to simply listen and be sensitive to the leadership of your spirit, to simply read and understand the teachings of your word, then God, all of that will culminate into the work that you have for us wherever and whenever you place us there. And God, we might not be fully cognizant of the way that you'll even use a conversation that wasn't intended for a certain audience, but yet that audience hears it, and you empower it, and you deliver from it a vision that all the plotting and planning could never accomplish. God, I just pray for each person here today that as the church, their desire would be to be strengthened and grown in the faith, that each person here today would be seeking the vision that you would have for their lives, although that's not something we can encapsulate totally in complete understanding, but yet, God, show each person here the direction you would have them going and that we find what you tell us to do along the way. And God, if there's one here today that has replaced the Lord with themselves that they would yield back to you God what rightfully belongs to you and that's their hearts and their service and it's in Jesus name that I pray today for your glory amen Pastor J